Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in any of Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. If any of you listening would like to know more about community radio, WPVMFM.org is a good place to start. If you would like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. My website is also jamesnave.com. If you'd like to know more about what I'm doing these days, one of the things I do every Saturday is host an Imaginative Storm writing prompt of the week session with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston. If you like to write and would like to work out a little bit with your writing, We gather for an hour, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon Eastern Time, and that's what we do. We write, and we use a prompt, one prompt a week, and after that, everybody reads their work, and we finish in an hour, and hang around afterwards for a little chat if anybody wants to talk, and that's pretty much it, and this is an ongoing thing. We get very excited every Saturday morning, and we're always happy to see new people. Maybe you'll be one of them. You can find the Zoom link at imaginativestorm.com. The door is always open, imaginativestorm.com. Come whenever you feel like it. Today my guest is a good friend of mine whom I've known for many years. She's Asheville-based. Her name is Barry Barton. And if you live in Asheville, you probably have heard Barry's name, especially if you work in any of the artistic arenas that are so prevalent in Asheville. Barry is the director of TEDx Asheville, and she also has a business called Stand and Deliver Asheville, and it's all about speech making. And one of the reasons I'm excited to have Barry on this call today is because she just finished working on a book, writing a book, and publishing a book titled How to Make a Speech. And the reason I'm very excited about it is because I'm her publisher, along with Allegra Houston. Allegra and I have a publishing company called Twice Five Miles Publishing. And when Barry agreed to join us and write this book on how to make a speech, we were thrilled. Our tagline is, The Stuff Nobody Teaches You. And I will say right now, Barry has written a book about how to make a speech, and it is full of the stuff that nobody teaches you. So now Barry has put this together, and it's a remarkable bit of work that she's done, and I'm sure that you will enjoy listening to Barry discuss how to make a speech in this upcoming conversation. As I said, Barry's also the director of the of TEDx Asheville, and she just finished doing a wonderful, terrific TEDx show in February 2022 on the big stage at the Diane Wortham Theater. If you were lucky enough to get a ticket and attend, TED only allows 100 people to attend a TEDx event, so the lucky few who were there really got to see Barry's good work that was expressed by way of their speakers because she helped all of those speakers rehearse and move into the best work, the excellence that they were always rising for, and 
achieved on the TEDx Asheville stage. I started my conversation with Barry by asking her why sharing an idea had value, and we'll pick it up from there. Speaking your truth or speaking your message, sharing an idea, it has this ability to move people. It has this ability to change people. It has this ability to wake people up, to have folks see things in a different way. It also can have ways for them to question their own perspective. How did I come to what I think? How did this person come to what they think? And where's the juice in all of that? The act of conversation, the act of speaking, the act of community coming together is so generative. The time that we weren't together as as a community through COVID, those little moments, meeting somebody on the street and just having an exchange of ideas, those weren't happening. So I think very often audiences, when they're listening, they think it's being on a big stage. It's being in front of a lot of people. But in fact, it's really not. It can be just running into somebody at, you know, our local Earth Fair grocery store and having such a great conversation that can really shift people's energy in the moment. And I've had this experience a lot lately. When I'm with people, there's an uplift. There is a heart opening. I feel possibilities arise inside of me that have been dormant or maybe even never there. And somebody else lit something up inside of me that I am aware of now. And the good news is, is that then I can go and generate that and share that with somebody else. And so it just keeps this going on and on and on and on. And of course, if we look and see what's happening in Ukraine, this president of Ukraine he, his message is, is like lighting fire all over the globe. People are putting lights out, are marching, are wearing blue and yellow, are fighting, are flying across the, the globe to land into that war because of him. So it can happen on a global stage and it can happen right in the moment of running into somebody at, at Earth Fair or at a coffee house. So Zelensky is listening to the Ukrainian people and he's speaking to them. And when you're at a coffee house, you're listening and speaking as well. So can you reflect a little bit on the idea of listening and what it means within the context of a conversation? Here's what's really interesting, James, is that I just yesterday picked up Julia Cameron's book about listening. Are you familiar with that book that she wrote? Yes, I am. I have it on my desk. In my business, Stand and Deliver Asheville, I have a tagline, listen, engage, speak, and lead. I do a lot of trainings about speaking. I do a lot of trainings about leading engagement. I did a whole series when we were learning how to run our meetings and do speeches on in the virtual platform, how to engage our audience. And I haven't been focusing as much on listening in, in my teaching modality. So for me, my ears have gotten so tuned and so clear on being able to follow someone's words, their structure, their intent. 
I can hear so many things, so many multiple layers now when I'm coaching someone in their speeches, when I'm listening to them present. Of and to itself, I think listening is truly an art. And I do believe that we have to create a sense of receptivity to it. And I think that requires a deliberate choice, opening the channels of our own being to be willing to listen. And that's one of the things that I actually said to the audience on when I was on the stage of the TEDx, as we were just getting started, I said that one of the things that I love about TEDx events is that the audience actually comes ready to listen and ready to learn. And that can be from the folks on the stage or folks in the in, that they meet in the audience. I really do believe it is an art, and I think that it is something that we can all improve upon. And it takes, it's just something that requires a deliberate and conscious decision to do. So as the director of TEDx Asheville, you just recently, as we've already talked about, had a successful event, and you had nine speakers. And I know that you worked with those speakers a great deal before the event. So when you were working with those speakers, how did you incorporate the idea of listening into the rehearsal process? I worked with nine speakers at the TEDx Asheville. I was their speaking coach. And and when we began, they had to submit some kind of draft. And very often that first draft was like all over the place. And I I couldn't find any thread of a connection, zero. So I would sit with them in a room and I would start to ask them questions. And then we would start to really actually build a map of, all right, so you're starting with this idea. So then then what happens? And then how does that go? And then how does that idea unfold? And then where do you see that showing up in the work that you do? Or have, do you have an example of how, that has, how you've worked with that idea with your client or, or whatever it is? And we would literally build a map and I would just keep asking them questions and they would just think. And I call it we, that we go spelunking. We go spelunking into their ideas, into their world. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just began to, you know, my wisdom, my true wisdom will just arise when someone gives me the space and it just will bubble up and I will, something will be coming out of my mouth and I'm hearing it at the same time and I'm recognizing how it is so true. It feels so true. It sounds true. And I know it, I can feel it in every core of my body. This is a really authentic, true statement I'm speaking right now. So, Barry, you say that you felt it in every core of your body. And how did those feelings inform the way you worked with the people after you chose them? And how did those feelings inform the way you chose the people in the first place? There's a part of me that wants to say, I don't know, because that information seems to land inside in a place that doesn't have logic to it. And I think it's those, those, those techniques that I talk about when I'm teaching my, my speakers that in seven seconds or whatever it is, you know, at a subconscious level, some things are working for people and some things are not working for people. 
And it can be through your eye contact, through the tone of your voice, through the smile on your face. It's those nonverbal communication styles when Justin got on and the tone of his voice maybe, or the way he was sitting or the way he, he acknowledged us. It just, there was, a, there was something that clicked. When the interview with Maisha, uh, Claiborne, she was one of our speakers, our nine chosen speakers. When she submitted her video, first they had to submit a, a one minute or two minute video. And as soon as I saw the video, this is not even in person, this is taped. First thing that caught my attention and that affected me, I could feel it affect me, was the sparkle in her eyes and the smile on her face. And I liked her immediately. And then of course, when she showed up for her video interview, she had the same presence. And so I think as a speaking coach and someone that's gonna put somebody on stage, that kind of illuminated human being, I know is going to fill the space and is going to make other people feel the same way that I felt. Now her idea was, I was very intrigued by her idea as well. But it's those other, it's those other qualities, and they're so human. They're just human, and I think that that is what we long for: is we long for that smile, we long for that sparkle. Um, it's something that lights us up and connects with us. Those are the things that I think were working for me in those interviews. Yeah, and I have to say that I'm also, I think, as a listener to the TEDx applicants and just to listening to anybody is that I think everyone deserves a little, a little time. I might get an immediate comfort when I'm with somebody, but I also can really, again, I, I can feel when I might be a little stirred and I can remind myself the more I just relax and stay curious and uh, stay open, that uh, this person actually might unfold themselves and I might unfold myself and something actually may be discovered in being more patient and spend a little bit more time um, as that conversation relationship is, be, is, is finding its way. Because sometimes it's not immediate. And I think it's, it's um, a missed opportunity if we expect those those immediate yeses uh, that we might actually overlook some very, very poignant, powerful person, conversation, idea, um, opportunity that um, we may just miss that if we are impatient. I just went down to Charlotte to visit one of the architect companies that I've been training a couple of years. And there was a, a woman there who I've worked with before she is a serious, serious introvert. So much so that really not much comes forth from her facial expressions, her vocal tone. If I assumed that that, that was something about me or whatever it was, or just not exciting or didn't connect, again, I would miss an engagement with her. And I had a wonderful engagement with her. She, I asked her about her work and, and what she was doing now. And, and she began to share more and more. So it's that. I think it's staying still. It is about calming the body enough so that we can be receptive to just be 
in the moment with that person and give them that opportunity to show themselves. So Barry, I know in the work that you've been doing with your company, Stand and Deliver Asheville, you've always focused on giving people the opportunity to show themselves. And I know that you spend a lot of time helping people find their groove, find their own style, rather than trying to copy somebody else's. And this brings me around to the book that you just wrote, How to Make a Speech. And the reason I know about the book is because the little publishing company I'm part of with Allegra Houston, we're publishing your book. And I know that you worked a long time with Allegra as an editor, Allegra being the editor, you being the author, to shape this book into a form that now just absolutely looks great and it reads well and it helps people understand how to show themselves. So I would love it if you would spend a bit of time just telling us about the process that you went through when you were writing this book and and how you feel about it now. You know, I said yes. It's one of those say yes and then figure it out sort of invitations. And when I started writing the book, I had an idea. I had ideas about speech making. And so that's what I wrote down. And of course, as soon as you begin focusing on something, it seems to show up everywhere that you go. And I started to listen more deeply. I started to read more. I was coaching more people on their content. And my brain began to shift in multiple ways. And I kept having to go back and change my system and change my system, which of course provided me with uh, some excitement of this discovery, but also terror because it was as though I thought to myself, I don't know what I'm doing. But I was truly in a discovery journey because there was something about the structure. There was something about some thread that I hear and see in most presentations and most speeches. As it evolved over the many, many months and a couple of years, I really do feel at the end of this that I really do know how to make a speech. It was an arduous journey. It was a terrifying journey. It was also amazing to discover these some of these things. And again, to, to listen deeper and deeper and deeper as I um, listen to, to speakers and listen to the way that they put their ideas together and what was missing. How did they structure it? How did they tie everything together? How did they make me want to listen? And what was their final, their final point? I wanted to figure out if there was a structure, if there was, and, and again, it's not like a template. I'm very, very cautious of template speeches because there's so many different ways to insert information, to insert quotes and, and, and statistics and, and ideas and experiences and stories. There's so many creative, unlimited possibilities. There seems to be in my, from what I can see and from what I can hear, an intelligent structure 
that will lead an audience that allows an audience actually to sit back and relax. And it, then it just unfolds in front of me and I can just take it in and enjoy it and go on the ride with you. Very often I give the analogy of a, of a speaker and a speech crafter um, as that you're a tour guide and it's your responsibility to guide your listener through your content so they don't get lost. They don't have to stop and wonder like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a little lost. I don't know where I am right now. That they get on your bus, they sit back, they look out the window and you just take them on a wonderful, wonderful ride. In your book, How to Make a Speech, you cover some of the strategies that will help people to put together a speech that will allow them to go on a wonderful ride. Also, allow the people who hear the speech to take the same ride. Many people who listen to this show are creative, and I suspect some of them would like to know how to give a speech. So if if you don't mind, Barry, would you give us a sense of how you might work with somebody for the first time who would like to give a speech, they come to you and they ask you for help. What do you do and and how do you go about making them feel comfortable with what they have to say? Well, first question I love to ask people is why do they want to give the speech? And very often the answer will be, and it's always about the audience. Well, I want my audience to do this and I want my audience to learn this. And I say, no, 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 no. Why do you want to do it? What's your reason for doing it? Not what do you want for your audience, but what's, why do you, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to put yourself out there? That's always an, a very, very interesting conversation to have with people. And it's um, very clarifying for them too, because so often they never stop and ask that question. They're always thinking of the audience and what their purpose is or what their message is. And then, you know, what do you want from this speech? Again, thinking of self. Now, at that point, once they, they offer the question, what is my motivation and what would I like to get out of this? Maybe I want more clients or I want to sell my book. Then we have to put that onto the side. It's important to name it, claim it, own it, and then scoot it off the table and move it over to the side so that now you can focus on the most important thing, which is your audience, your message. I strongly believe that these first couple of questions, I think, is are important to ground ourselves in our own personal why. And then, like I said, scoot it off and then get, get other focused at that point. And when you've been working with your clients, what are some of the answers they give you around their why when they finally discover it? Very often it's, I want to get clients, I want to get coaching clients, or I want folks to sign up for my workshop or my training. Especially for women, there's empowerment in them saying, yes, this is what I want. I would like to have more clients. I would like to have my workshop filled. There's something very empowering about just making that statement, that clear intention for what that you want in your own life. Some folks are just ready to test the grounds, see what they have, see if they can do it. Other folks are getting ready to go pitch an idea 
or themselves for interviews, for jobs, or they have a product or, or an idea that they're trying to pitch to investors or something like that. So it's all kinds of different, different avenues that folks are, are looking to make their claim to fame. Going back to the TEDx Asheville process, the orientation, I gave the speakers a piece of paper with a big red round uh, circle. And I asked them the question, who is going to be in that circle with you? Who's going to be on that red rug with you? Alive or dead? And I don't mean that they were going to come out on the stage and stand with them, but whose energy do you want to claim with you in that space so that you feel supported, you feel that they've got your back, that they're, they're cheering you on? It was a very powerful process for them to do that. When we got on the stage before the theater house opened, and we went around the circle, I said, I want you to say a name that you added to that circle. And they all called out one of those names and we did it again. And I said, now we're gonna do this one more time. If there's anybody else that you now know belongs with you in that space, let's call their names out. So that was, that was a really powerful process for them. All of this work you've been doing all these years around your speech making came to play right there on the TEDx Asheville stage. And I know that in the book that you've written, How to Make a Speech, you cover ideas like what you just talked about, plus so, so many more. And as we've already talked about, this book didn't just come together in a couple of weeks. It took you quite a while of collaborative work with Allegra to, to make it happen. So would you go back for a moment and reflect a little bit more on the process that you and Allegra went through when you were creating this book? Of course, I had never written a book and never worked with an editor. So I really didn't know what to expect. But I did go into this process already believing and knowing <laughs> that she knew a whole lot more than I did and that I was going to need her help along the way. And it was very interesting because I got messages along the way, which I, I don't think I understood at first that she was going to sort of toss the words back to me. And it was up to me to figure it out. She wasn't there to help me figure it out. Then I had to go in and really think through and fiddle around with things and throw things out and bring things in and scratch things off and uh, write things new. And then I would send them back to her and then again, she would toss it back to me. And with insight, there were times when I would go, when I would respond with, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yes, I, I, I need to explain that. That's not, I wasn't clear. And then there were other times that she would toss something back at me and I would be so angry, like, oh my gosh. God, you want me to, you want me to explain this more? Like, do I really have to explain this more? The more and more that happened, the more and more, it's kind of like she, she pummeled me down that I began to just accept that, okay, she knows what she's doing. She is guiding me to the best book that I can write, that I can publish, that I can put out. She is going to make sure that nothing is 
not said, that everything is clear, that there's no assumptions that can be made, that there's no confusion. Like again, being a good speaker, being a good speech crafter, she was going to allow our readers to read the book and not have to go, oh, wait a minute, I'm confused. Again, leading them clearly from one thing to the next so they understood and could use it to apply it, to learn from it and, and grow from it. So her role was the same as my role as a speaking coach. Her role was guiding me towards a well-polished book and I continued over and over to have the utmost respect for her insights. I think, again, that's very similar to what's happened to the speakers that I was working with. I'll go back to speaking about Maisha. She sent her first draft. And, and you may remember, I, I even sent it to you. I said, I can't even figure this out enough to speak back to her about why I'm confused. She went through eight, eight drafts. And she was so willing to do that. She was pursuing excellence and I was pursuing excellence. Thank goodness Allegra kept calling me to that excellence because I didn't really, I don't think I actually knew what excellence was, but she kept calling me in forward more, more, more. And I do the same with my speakers. Yeah, this is good. You could stay with this, but here, let me give you a little bit more. Let me pull you more and more towards your best speech. And that's what Allegra did for me. So as Allegra pulled you more and more toward your best book, which you now have, how has your writing changed in that process? And what about your confidence? Has it increased? Definitely. Oh my goodness, yes. When I started in the first draft, there's probably nothing that I had in that first draft that is still in this book, in this current book, all got tossed out the window because I continued to evolve my understanding. And then the book would evolve. And then because the book was evolving, then I would evolve. I shared this with my speakers as well, is that we are changed by the work that we create and the work that we create changes us. It is this amazing, beautiful dance that goes back and forth. I experienced that when I was a dancer and a choreographer too. There is some life in something that you're creating that continues to speak to you and evolve you as a human being. So I do feel like, and it's not very often in my life that I have felt this, I truly feel that I am very, very capable of coaching and guiding someone to create, to craft, and to deliver a solid, exceptional speech. I do believe I gave that gift to these nine speakers. Now, not all of them needed, needed as much help as some of the other ones did, but I do believe even some of the professional speakers were changed by the way that I coached them and that the invitations that I made to them. So yes, the, the book writing, and then seeing something that I actually created, it's a life changer, really. It's a true life changer. And one of the things that I have to say that's really cool is a dancer. I danced many, many times. I danced in LA. I danced in New York City. I danced in Asheville. I don't have anything to show that I danced in these places or the dances that I danced. 
I, I have maybe videos and things like that, but I actually can carry something in my purse. I can show you something. It's a delight to have a tangible, real, palpable object to say, I did this. Well, Barry, it certainly does feel good to hold your book in my hands. It's a, a beautiful book. You can carry it. It's light, 160 pages. You can put it in your briefcase. You can put it in any case you have, your backpack. And it's really a book that you can read from cover to cover, and it reads well from cover to cover. It's also a workbook. You can go into any section of the book and work with that section to figure out how to approach writing your speech or how to approach speaking it to the audience, how to interact with your audience. So it's really, really exactly what I think people need when they're developing their speeches. So I'm very excited about where this book will go. And I have a feeling it's going to have a long journey uh, all over the world. Meanwhile, what are you up to next? What are you doing now that you've finished with the book? And as you look forward to the coming months, what's happening? What's up with Barry? So I do have upcoming a, a course called Craft a Speech Worth Sharing, which follows very much a lot of the information in the book that got published, How to Make a Speech. So that's coming up. And that is an online course, six sessions. And that is a, that's a course that I want to continue to develop and offer to folks because I think having a, an accountability space is very important for creative folks and for folks that have the need to get something out into the world. So you have an accountability. You also have ears to give feedback and a place to test things out. So that's, that's definitely coming up. I'm also committed to TEDx again for 2023. And I must say, I, I am at this place where I just completed this year long with TEDx Asheville, completed the book, and I actually feel like I'm at a realignment or a restart space. I actually don't have a clear vision of where this is all going to take me. I've been pouring my attention and my energy into these projects. Now my attention has come back up to my own life and how do I want to show up in the world? What do I want to give to the world? And I actually am not, I'm not really clear on that yet. So that is to be determined. It's a little frightening to, to not have that clear. And it's again, awesome, very, very, poignant feels like a very powerful space to just sit in and, and wait for the signs to show up. Well, Barry, you have plenty of tools to work with, and I'm sure those signs will show up sooner than later. And meanwhile, can you tell folks listening how they can get in touch with you? Yes. So my website for Stand and Deliver is standanddeliverashville.com. So, Barry, thank you ever so much for taking the time out of your day to spend this time with us. I really do appreciate it. It was good to be with you, James. And there you go, my friends, a conversation with Barry Barton about how to make a speech. We have a bit of time before the top of the hour, so I would just like to continue 
on the thread of speech making and tell you a little story about my own experience as a speech maker. And I, I remembered this story when Barry was talking, and it's really probably one that you may share a, as well. Years ago, when I was in college, long, long time ago now, it was actually a small junior college called Brevard College. Now, if you live in the Asheville area, you know that Brevard College is no longer a junior college. In fact, Brevard College now is a four-year fully tricked out uh, small college in the Southeast. But at the time I went to Brevard College, it was a a two-year school, and it was religiously inclined owned by the Methodist Church, so we had to go to chapel on Wednesday night and then also on on Sunday morning, and we had six days of classes. So it was a really rather old-fashioned, rigorous proposition. So at Brevard College, I signed up for a class that I thought would be absolutely dandy for me. It was a speech-making class, how to make a speech. I don't remember the teacher's name now. I do remember she seemed young, and I might have been her first teaching job. Who knows? She didn't have that much experience making speeches, I don't think. Unlike Barry, who's been doing it forever, stand and deliver Asheville, people come to Barry, and she really knows how to imbue them with confidence from the gate. Well, this was not the case at my Brevard College how to make a speech class. I don't remember much about the class except it was in the afternoon and the textbook we had was very dry. Unlike Barry's new book, How to Make a Speech, which is very lively in addition to being just packed with really practical information. So the first week we had the introductions and the teacher talked about some of the strategies around writing a speech and the strategies around how to stand in front of the room and all the things that maybe you've already read about or know about. Anyway, the second week she announced that we were going to practice impromptu speech making. Now, that was my first experience with improvisational work. I've since had plenty of times to do improvisational work and really have come to enjoy it. But that day, she said, I'm going to write subjects and put them in a box, and I want each of you to come up, pick the subject, and give an impromptu speech about the subject. I don't remember what my subject was. I do remember... I went maybe fifth or sixth in the group of 15 students in the class. I was so nervous I don't remember what anybody else said, but I do remember when I stood up and took my subject and read the subject aloud. Now, I will tell you I don't remember what the subject was. All I remember is reading the subject, putting the paper down on the desk, looking up at the room, and going completely, utterly blank. I had no idea what to say, nor did I have any sense of how to put a story together or a speech together. I was young. I was inexperienced. I really didn't know something had to have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. I stuttered around and maybe made a few comments about whatever my subject was and sat down, and I was maybe ashamed. I was certainly embarrassed. I did feel stupid. To the teacher's credit, she didn't berate me. She said, well, that's how, it's, that's how you start. You have to 
practice a whole lot in order to make all this work. So I felt okay about it, but I still remember that time, and I often think about that experience when I get in a conversation with people about how to make a speech or how to talk in public. And I suppose it still bothers me a little bit even now. So dial forward years and years and years, I did end up earning my living speaking on stage. I did end up earning my living performing and reciting poetry that I'd memorized from the school textbook. I gave teacher conferences, teacher workshops. I did a few keynotes, etc., etc. And in all that time, standing on those stages, I would often think back to that moment in the class at Brevard College when I just absolutely couldn't think of anything to say. So coming back around to TEDx Asheville, before Barry was the director, TEDx Asheville had a number of other directors as well. And I don't remember what year it was. It might have been 2010, 2011. I was asked to be a TEDx Asheville speaker. And the reason I was asked to do it, the director at the time wanted me to talk about poetry. They always had a poet or two on the stage back then. And I was active in the Asheville community as a poet, as a t storyteller, as a someone who performed work all over the place. And I agreed, sure, why not? I'll give my TEDx Asheville talk. And so I thought, even then, I thought, what would happen if I didn't prepare? What would happen if I just walked out on stage and took a breath, looked up at the audience, looked down at the clock, there's always a clock on the TEDx Asheville stage or on any TEDx stage, and I just spoke about poetry for my allotted 15 minutes of time. Well, as you might have already guessed, I didn't do that. I was too chicken, too afraid, too scared. I wouldn't go viral. Back in those days, everybody wanted to get a TEDx talk so they would go viral and millions of people would watch the watch the talk so in the spirit of me trying to go viral i prepared my speech i prepared my talk i put my slides together and i gave my talk and it was a pretty good talk it was about how to think from an imaginative storm point of view a theme that i'm still on this day I'm still working with and in fact our imaginative storm writing prompt of the week sessions which I host with my co-collaborator Allegra Houston every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time noon Eastern Time are all based on the imaginative storm work I was doing back then and even before that so you may be wondering did my TEDx actual talk go viral no it didn't go viral like I said it was a pretty good speech but there were some flaws in it, and I was really trying too hard. I failed to do what my impulse had asked me to do, what my creative impulse had asked me to do, which was approach the room as a blank slate and see what happens. And to this day, I'm still thinking, gosh, I wish I had done that instead. I've often thought if I ever did get another chance to give a TEDx speech, I would just go out as a blank slate and wait for the inspiration to hit me and just proceed with the clock in front of me, watching the seconds tick away, the minutes tick away, until my 15 minutes arrive. 
And whenever I've told my TEDx Asheville story about deferring to the safe arena of preparation and organization versus the perceived unsafe arena of blank slate, letting the moments bubble up, letting the speech bubble out. So whenever I've told that, people have often asked me, well, what do you think you would have said? Well, of course, my answer is I have no idea because if you are a blank slate and you walk out and you wait for the moment to inspire you, you can't know what's going to happen until it happens. And of course, walking out on a stage as a blank slate is not something I would recommend you do if you've never been on stage before. But if you have had some stage experience and you have a curiosity about the blank slate approach, I recommend you, you give it a shot. And it's really not about being unprepared. When you walk out as a blank slate, you're bringing all the preparation you've worked with over many years. So in a sense, it's a different kind of approach that rises out of a different kind of prep. Whereas if you've never given a speech before, then you, you would want to prep and, and get ready and practice. So the blank slate approach is just built on a different kind of practice approach, if you will. So since I didn't get a chance to do it on the TEDx stage, and I've always thought it might be fun to just walk out and do it, if you don't mind, I think I'll give it a try right now. So imagine you're in the audience. Imagine this is a TEDx speech at TEDx Asheville. I have not prepared. I am a blank slate. You're sitting there. The room is dark. Lights are on the stage. I walk out and stand on the red carpet as, again, the blank slate. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I do know my subject is poetry. So here we go. Greetings, my friends. I would like to begin talking about poetry, which is our subject for the next few minutes. I'd like to begin talking about poetry at a place we are all familiar with, the nursery rhymes. Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jumped over the candlestick, or Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all of the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And moving on from the nursery rhymes, do, do you remember this one? Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the leaves hang trembling, the wind is passing by. Who has seen the wind? Neither I nor you. But when the trees bow down their heads, the wind is passing through. Who Has Seen the Wind was written by Christina Rossetti, and it's a children's poem, maybe, but that's an interesting question. Who has seen the wind? Because it does bring up the notion of invisibility and the mysterious nature of the things we cannot see, or the things inside our imaginations that surprise us at odd moments when something is given back we didn't know we had had in solitude, spontaneously, and with great joy. That was a little verse by Charles Wright. I'm also thinking now of those mysterious things, and I come to The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. You may know that poem. So when I think of poetry, or when I say poetry to you, maybe The Raven comes to mind. Once upon a midnight dreary, 
while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I uttered, rapping at my chamber door. "'This it is, and nothing more.' "'Who was it at the chamber door?' "'Of course we all know it was the raven rapping, rapping at the chamber door, "'and then the fellow opens the window, and the raven comes in and sits there forever, "'haunting, mysteriously haunting this disturbed person in the late December.' So when I say poetry, 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 you may think of some of these old, old poems. Others come to mind as well, like The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost, or The Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. Those two classic poems have been around for a long, long time. So... Poetry. What comes to mind when I speak of poetry? And why? Why is poetry important today? Well, I'll tell you why I think poetry is important and why it's valuable. Poetry is all about communication and language. We sit here together tonight. You are listening to people speak and in this moment, I am speaking, and you are listening. Octavio Paz wrote a poem about poetry. He said, Between what I see and what I say, between what I say and what I keep silent, between what I keep silent and what I forget, poetry, it slips between yes and no. It says what I keep silent, it keeps silent what I say. It dreams what I forget. It is not speech. It is an act of speech. So why poetry, poetry, poetry? Why the subject? Why is it so valuable? Communication. It also reminds each of us, each of us, in whatever room we're in, wherever we are in our, our lives, from our first utterance to our last breath, it reminds each of us that we are poetic entities. We are poetic creations. Think of the nature of your own body. Think of how coordinated it is. Think of how your voice sounds, your voice. Often when people talk about poetry, they are talking about more than just what you read on the page, whose woods these are, I think I know. They're talking about, about voice tones. They're talking about listening. And when you pause for a moment, no matter whether you think you are a poet or, or not, or maybe you think you have not one creative bone in your body, or maybe you absolutely have a deep, deep sense of all of the creative bones in your, in your body, regardless of whether you deny those creative bones or whether you embrace those creative bones and all of the other material that goes along with all of those bones, embrace or deny, they're still there. Your bones are creating every second that you're living. 
the entire body that belongs to you, your entire body, is creating all of the time. So, are you a walking poem? Are we all walking poetry? Wandering in the, not the wilderness, but wandering in the known arena we call Earth, and even beyond for that matter, possibly. I would submit to you that, yes, indeed, you are a walking poem. And I would also say the poetry that I touched on just now, who is seeing the wind, ah, back to the nature of, of the whole world, who has seen the wind. None of us have seen the wind, but we have felt it. We have heard it. We have seen what the wind can do when the trees bow down their heads. So when you stop to think about poetry, think of yourself as a poetic entity. Think of yourself as a poetic contribution to, to the world. And you have to do nothing in order to make that happen. All you have to do is just be yourself. Be in the world and be yourself. Now you may be wondering, sitting out there in the audience, well, big deal. So what? I'm a poetic entity walking around. How does that put gas in my gas tank? How does that make my life any better? How does that pay the bills? Well, it it pays the bills because when you think of yourself poetically, you will find that you'll have a, a sense of self. And in that thinking, you will discover how easy it is for you to relax into in the beauty around you. And if you want to carry it a little further and you wanted to write something, say, for example, why not? It's very simple to do that. It's very simple for you just to sit down and jot a few lines as you go. So, on that note of you being the poetic entity that has the capacity to report what you're seeing by way of writing the lines down, and likely if you do write a line or two down, you'll read it to somebody and they will agree with you that in that moment, there's a bit of poetry going on between the two of you. And that's really all you can ask for, I think. And the road in is always longer than the road out, even if it's the same road, Charles Wright said. And I don't really know if that's true or not, but I like the sentiment. The road in is always longer than the road out, even if it's the same road. So when you take the, the road in to your poetry, it's always longer. And maybe there's only one way to go, which is just more and more into the poetics of life. So that, my friends, is what I have to say about poetry. Thank you for listening. And also, now that I've finished my little improvisational speech for my imaginary TEDx Asheville audience, I would like to thank you for listening to Twice Five Miles Radio.
fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. We're always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you're interested in more of Walter's music. Davine Dial, thank you for managing WPVMFM. Couldn't do any of this without you. WPVMFM.org if you'd like to know more about community radio. If you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. I'd love to hear from you. And I would love to have you join us. Join me. Join my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, every Saturday morning, noon Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Mountain Time for our Imaginative Storm Writing Prompt of the Week session. We're always there. The door is always open. We would love to have you. Imaginativestorm.com. That's how you get in touch with us. We gather with writers. It only lasts an hour. We write from one prompt each week. It's good fun. We laugh a lot. Have a good time at the top of the hour. One hour after we start, we say goodbye and hang around a little later for the after party just a chat on writing or philosophy or whatever happens to be on on your mind or anybody else's for that matter. So again, thank you for, for listening. And I do hope you tune in again next time. And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.